if someone were to ask me, what is your most life-changing moment, that would be it. I feel like that really defined so much of what the path that I've been on in life was that year abroad in France. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I met my today's guest on Facebook in a Swiss group, in a, I don't, I don't remember what it's called, Swiss Abroad Group. And I put a little note in there. I was looking for people who have interesting stories to tell. And boy, is her story interesting when I realized that I started, I started Googling her and I started finding out about her. She is a language teacher. She teaches French and Spanish, but she is a lot more than that. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Monica Glendezea. Thank you for having me. And nice thank you so here. much for doing this. So, Monica, you are Swiss, half Swiss, aren't you? Correct. Uh, my mother's Swiss. My father's American. Um, but I was born in Switzerland. How long in did Lucerne. you live in, mm-hmm. in Lucerne? That's my yes. hometown. How long did you live in Switzerland? I think it was about nine months. <laughs> Okay, so I was I was really young when we moved yeah, to California. You obviously don't remember any of that. Your dad was is American, and they met. Your parents met in Switzerland. Yes, yes, they met in Basel several years ago. They they had thought to move to the states for a couple of years, and then decided to stay. <laughs> okay, and um, do you have any other brothers and sisters? I do. I have two brothers. I have and were an they brother. also born in Switzerland? Or are they older or younger? My older brother was born in Switzerland. Okay. Yeah. And your younger brother in the US. So it's it's yes. an interesting mixture. And you're kind of a California girl then. You grew up in California, right? I am. I mean, I grew up near the beach, not too far from the beach, not in a beach city, but not, not too far from the beach. And so, yeah, of course, I mean, uh, you know, I learned a little bit how to surf and swim in the ocean. And so I, I am a bit of a, a California girl, for sure. Did you travel as a child? Um, I did. I mean, we would go back to Switzerland every, every I want to say every three years or so, you know, between two and four years. every Yeah. And to visit family and friends. So that was nice. And then, of course, in the United States, we would travel to the beautiful national parks, Yosemite. We would mm-hmm. often visit Yosemite. We would often visit, yeah, Sequoia, Sequoia National Park as well in California. I love that. I used to be a tour guide and uh, I worked for a tour operator called Kuoni. Maybe you have heard of it. It's the biggest tour operator in Switzerland. And um, I used to spend a lot of time in the West. We used to have a tour called the Best of the West. And we visited all the parks and stayed in, uh, and it was like a tour, Nevada, Nevada, California, Utah, and Arizona. It was fantastic. I love this part of the world. When you grew up, did your mother celebrate any Swissness? Did she cook any Swiss stuff? Or did you celebrate the 1st of August? Oh, definitely. I mean, we, yes, 1st of August, we would pull out, you know, Swiss shirts, um, or at least wear red, right? Uh, red and white. Um, and then, of course, she would make rushti, uh, you know, fondue, raclette. Maybe not necessarily on August 1st, because in California, it can be quite hot. Yes, <laughs> so, same here. In Yes. Yes. But um, yes, we would have some Swiss dishes. You know, she taught me a couple of songs, right? Some Swiss songs. Um, unfortunately, I don't know too much Swiss German. I would love to to learn some more, but I always felt that my mom tried to instill in us um, a bit of Swiss, 
a bit of Swissness, even though we were living in California. So it was nice. Yeah, I think we have that. I did that too when I spoke to my kids in Swiss German. Of course, it's much easier for me because I'm only three and a half hours away from Switzerland. So it's much easier to go there. California is a long trip and and expensive with three children. So it's not like... because here, from here, it's there are charter flights and it's an easy thing to go. But I can I, I understand that it's not so easy to visit Switzerland twice a year when you live so far away. Right, right, yeah. But but I you know for me I have the fondest memories of visiting Switzerland as a child. You know we would go to my my aunt's farm. We would go um, and and I think even just taking public transportation was magical for me. You know we would you just hop on a train and you're. You're from Lucerne to to Basel to Bern, um, and it, it just it. I think every trip we had there as a ch- when I was a child was really very very memorable. Is there something that sticks out? Is there something that happened during your trips to Switzerland that that like made an impression, or is it the general good memory of Switzerland? What what impressed you as a little American girl coming to Switzerland? Well. I think, first of all, just how green everything was, you know, I mean, here we would always go in the summertime. It would always be July or August. And, um, you know, at that point in time in in California, everything is just dry, brown and dry. And yeah. So when we would go there and see these lush green fields and cows on the pastures, it was just such a contrast to what I was used to in California, you know, and then also, you know, I swam for the first time in a lake in Switzerland and which was very different from swimming in the ocean. And then I think also even the language sort of impressed me because I remember seeing, you know, signs written in German, but then people would be speaking Swiss German, you know, the dialects there. It was obviously a bit confusing (laughs) to me as a child. And then you know, I just remember like uh, the food preparation there, particularly at my um, aunt's place, you know, fresh lettuce from the garden, you know, of course, like the, the creamiest, most delicious milk and yogurt. It just, I just have like everything I associate with Switzerland is just so positive because I had such wonderful memories from my trips there. That's, uh, well, that's so true. I mean, this is why me living in Cyprus, which is very hot in the summer and very dry and it stops raining in May. And it's exactly the same thing. You know, this island gets so brown by that yeah. by, by, by September, you don't see anything. Well, already by July, you don't see anything green anymore. And it's such, it's so good for your eyes to go to a place which is green and fresh. And, and something that you said made me laugh, and that's the language and especially the Swiss German language. And for the people who are listening to us, Swiss is not a language. Swiss is a dialect, but it's we speak German in Switzerland. The news are read in German. The newspapers are written in German. But Swiss German sounds very different. And people from Germany find it sometimes very hard to understand, especially in certain parts of Switzerland, because not only is it a dialect, but there are, I don't, I don't know, about hundred different kinds of dialect, depending on the region where you come from. Because even I, when I listen to somebody from the Valleys, or so, I, depending on where they come from, I sometimes find it hard to understand. So I can imagine how confused you were, <laughs> you know, yes. being able to read a sign. And then it sounded completely different. Right. Exactly. You know, we would visit relatives 
in Lucerne, and then we would visit relatives in Bern. And even there, their dialects are different. Yes, very different. I am from the canton of Lucerne. I'm from a valley called Entlebuch, and my dialect is much closer to Bern than it is to Lucerne. And people always think that I'm from Bern, so it, it confuses people a lot. But when you later, when you grew up, you because I know today you are a language teacher. You teach French and Spanish. How did you? How did that happen? Did you study languages? How did did you decide to become a language? How did did, did that develop? Well, I think as a child, I. I was always kind of fascinated by sounds. Like I, my father was a music teacher. So I, we grew up with a lot of music. I loved listening to different languages. And um, I thought, well, you know, I, I'd like to learn one of these languages <laughs> so that, I'm, that I'm so interested in. So at age 16, I studied abroad. I lived with a French family. It was an exchange in um, the south of France. Went to a, a French high school, uh, learned French. I mean, it was, if someone were to ask me, what is your most life-changing moment? That would be it. I feel like that really defined so much of what the path that I've been on in life was that year abroad in France, you know, because I was still in high school. I mean, I was 16 and that that was rather young. It was even before going to college. So um, I was kind I was a bit on my, I was with a family, but I was a bit on my own for a year. It was really probably the hardest thing I had ever done at, until that age. But anyway, I, I lived with a host family and they were, you know, they're just wonderful people. They, um, they were both teachers. Um, my French mother was a, a math teacher and my French father was a, uh, a physics teacher, physics and chemistry teacher, high, high school level. And so I think they instilled in me sort of this, also this love for teaching. It definitely started with my father with music, but I think for when I went to France, it sort of solidified a bit more uh, that that interest. And I, I really am very grateful to them, especially my French mother. She was very strict with my pronunciation in, Fran in French. She would correct me all the time. And there were times when I was kind of like, oh, please just let it go. <laughs> but I am so grateful for her strictness in learning French because I feel like after 10 months, I was there for 10 months, I, I was really able to speak the language, you know, relatively well, I think, you know, for those 10 months. So anyway, so that kind of started me off on, on that interest. I When I went to college, I, I, um, I studied languages, I studied French, I learned some German, I, um, I even studied a little bit of Chinese. <laughs> um, but I, it was, you know, my, my degree is in French, so French literature. So uh, that was, that was kind of my sort of diving board, I guess, going to France that year. Um, and then I learned, I learned Spanish a little bit later, but once you learn French, uh, Spanish is not so, so difficult. Yeah, uh, that's true. Spanish and French are close, but I have to say that's very, that needs a lot of courage to go away at the age of 16 and not just, you know, from one country to, to the neighboring country, you went far away to the South of France. That's uh, yes must have been were you did you feel homesick oh absolutely absolutely i think you know I, I i think when i first got there there was just all all this excitement you know i didn't know what to expect i had had two years of high school french before going so my french was i mean i you know i could have very simple conversation but that was about it yes of course it, the first couple of weeks everything was new it was great it was grand and then probably about a month in 
I think that's where that first sort of crash occurs, where it's like, what am I doing here? Um, you know, oh, maybe this was a mistake to come here. I'm so young. I'm, you know, I don't understand anything. What people are saying, they're speaking so fast. You know, it was just that doubt, you know, and homesickness that that creeps in. But, you know, at that point in time, there was no internet. It was basically a monthly phone call mm-hmm. to and my phone parents. phone calls were expensive. Yes, a monthly phone call and then also writing letters. You know, this is just before email kind of took off. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, I was very, very isolated. But I remember, you know, sort of the progression. Like, you know, at the beginning when I would write letters home, they would be all in English and I'd be able to write them so quickly and simply. And and then as time went on, because I was really surrounded by French constantly, I remember I would be writing. I, I, my parents, I think, kept the letters. And I remember looking back at them at one point and I would include French words in there or I would write something in English that would just sound very awkward because I was so immersed into the French culture. So writing them home was like... Uh, <laughs> The letters, some of the letters sounded very awkward towards the end of my stay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good sign, really. That means that you you had lived and taken over the French, uh, the Frenchness. Right, right. So it was, I mean, it was such a defining year. It was, um, yeah, it was really, really amazing. That's so interesting. And another thing that you were saying is that your, 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 the lady that you lived with, or you, your what did you call her? Your oh, mamo, yeah, yeah. She corrected you, and I think I know it's annoying, but I also know that it's very important. And I, in my case, when I came to Cyprus the first time many years ago, and I spoke English, my English was good, I could communicate with this and that. But my best friend, one of my best friends here, who is still today one of my best friends is an English teacher. She's from Ireland and she always corrected me. And she, it, at the beginning, it used to get on my nerves. And, and I, mm-hmm. But now, today, I know that she made my English really the, the way it is. It helped a lot. Yes, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. So it's okay to correct. It's sometimes, I mean, if somebody really doesn't want it, then of course they can tell you and you won't do it anymore. But then you'll just cringe every time they say something because it's wrong. Right. Well, you know, I, I, with, on this program, I this exchange program, I wasn't the only one to spend a high school year abroad. There were other Americans as well. And I know that they there were some families that maybe their parents weren't quite as strict. And so, you know, by the end, their French was good, but maybe not as good as it could have been. Yeah. Right. Had they been constantly corrected. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah we have these stories because, you know, like Swiss girls, like like myself, they would go to the French part of Switzerland to work for a year as an au pair mm-hmm. and um, and use very often to look after children. And very often the madame was maybe Swiss German. So they ended up not speaking any French, but their children ended up speaking Swiss German. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that wasn't really the purpose, but uh, whatever, you know. Right, right. Um, every every situation is different, yeah. Of course. And then you um, you met a man from Peru. Oh, I did. Yes, yes. Where did so, you meet that man from Peru? Well, you know, I just, I was in my mid-20s and kind of working at a job that I didn't 
particularly like at the time. And I thought, well, you know what? I think I'd really like to go to, uh, I'd, I'd like to learn some Spanish. You know, I'm not quite ready. I, I still have that travel itch, you know, to go in and see another part of the world. So I went to Peru and uh, I taught at a school in Peru and then I studied Spanish. Um, and so I met him in Peru. We, we actually met in a choir at uh, one of the universities there. So uh, we both love music, love to sing. Uh, so that's that's where we met. Um, many people have asked me, oh, but you know, you were teaching down there. Did you did you meet him while you were teaching? I said, no, he's never been my student. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least not formally, right? Um, so yes, uh, yes. So, uh, and, you know, and initially I had thought to go to Peru for about a year. Um, just to yeah. go there, learn some Spanish, teach a bit while I'm down there, and then, uh, you know, come back and maybe add uh, Spanish to to my teaching um, prospects. And what uh, better way to learn? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I ended up staying in Peru for nearly five years. Okay, and so, then you moved together to California. We did, yes. Yeah. And that was before you were married. Uh, that was after we were married. After you were married. But when, what, what, because I know that something happened on your honeymoon flight and that's something that I want to talk to you about. And I, to the people who are listening, I did ask Monica before if she is ready to talk about this. You were flying from Los Angeles to Quito. Okay. So it was our honeymoon. We got married in Arequipa. So that's like Southern Peru. Mm -hmm. And we were flying from Lima to Quito. Okay. Yes. Uh, Iquitos, sorry, Iquitos. Our plane crashed. Uh, it was a. That is when I because when I prepare for a podcast, I always Google the people that I'm going to speak to because I always want to know a little a bit about you. And then when I read that, I thought, Oh my god! So um, your plane crashed. Do you remember that? Do you remember? I do. You, do you remember what happened? Well, okay. Um, it was the descent, right? So we were getting ready to land. Um, you know, I mean, I think the flight itself had been quite bumpy. Um, there was a lot of turbulence on the way there, which I've since found out that that's not uncommon going going it's to the over jungle. the Andes, isn't it? So yes, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, in the jungle, yeah, going to the yeah. rainforest. But as we were descending, it was so bumpy at a certain point where I I remember turning to my husband and saying, "This is not normal." Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, we we crashed and there was there was fire. I mean, I was very fortunate that my husband um, is a volunteer firefighter. And so he knew exactly what to do in an emergency situation and just spring you know, spring, he had me spring out of my seat because I was I was a little bit in disbelief at the moment. You know, I had no idea what was going on. It it was dark where we were and then but then there was like fire in front of us and my husband just sort of like kind of pushed me towards the back of the plane and you know it, it was there was chaos it was nobody really knew what was going on they were opening this emergency door it really it felt surreal and we we you know thankfully got out of the plane and we're walking away. There were people that were injured, that were burned. My husband was burned. I was burned a little bit on my hand. And we just 
you know, started getting away from the aircraft. And then at some point we got away from the aircraft and it, you know, it had, ex- it, it exploded. Yeah. So it's like, we got out just in time, but it was, it was really very, um, I mean, to this day, it's kind of hard to believe, you know, when somebody says, oh, you were in a plane crash, like, how did you survive? And I said, it, it, yeah, it's like, I guess I was, I was sitting in, you know, the right seat mm-hmm. because if, had I been just a couple rows ahead, I would not be here. Um, but it was, you know, the plane had landed really kind of in a swamp. I mean, it, there was a hailstorm, um, and the plane had just sort of dropped into this like swampy area. Um, and yeah, yeah, we got out and we were just, you know, kind of all huddled together, um, away from the the aircraft, which, yeah, like I said, at one point did explode. And then we had sort of people who lived in the area come, come to us. And I mean, it almost, it almost sounds like out of a movie, but like we had to cross over these, um, I guess, I guess you could say they were like fields or pastures, like people's land there. And, you know, these, these men, they, they had like machetes and they were like, cutting down these barbed wires for us to pass through it was it was like really this is just this whole thing is just so bizarre you know um and then finally we we were able to get on a truck and then we went to a hospital but the hospital they this is a jungle hospital okay they're probably used to treating like jungle diseases third degree burn victims are not what they treat they had no idea what to do with us um, and it was, you know, it was really very, um, very traumatic. I think, uh, at that point it started getting really kind of real. You know, I actually saw a girl who absolutely went into shock and I had never experienced, um, anyone getting, going into shock, you know, um, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of the hard, the hard thing to kind of talk about is to see the suffering of the people knowing that I left the air, the aircraft with the exception of my left hand being slightly burned physically pretty much unscathed. Um, so, you know, it, it was, I mean, it was really the, uh, the good will of the people there that, that helped us, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but it, it, it was, uh, even to this day talking about it, it's like, I, I, I almost can't believe that it happened. It's surreal. It's definitely very surreal. And, you know, considering that what happened and just have a little burn really, but obviously a big shock. Were you always fully conscious throughout the time? I was, yes. I never lost consciousness. You know, everybody reacts different in, in some kind of an emergency, mm-hmm. right? Very I much. think for me, yes. I think for me, I almost just became very um I was just sort of in observe mode. Like all I could do was just sort of look around. It was almost like freeze, you know. Yeah, you were watching freeze. yourself kind of. You were right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and you know, I remember, yeah, there was a flight attendant who was injured. Her eye was injured. When someone asks you, is something wrong with my eye? And, you know, what do you tell them? Like, you know, I, all you can think of to say is you'll be all right kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But in your mind, you're not quite sure if that's really the right response. 
right? But you wanted you want to be sort of reassuring because here you are in in this in this jungle, something catastrophic just occurred. And every moment almost seems like an hour. Mm-hmm. Like time almost stood still yeah, because yeah. everything was so impactful. That's crazy. I mean, honestly, I have traveled all over the world and spoken to people who've traveled all over the world, but I have never met anybody who has survived a plane crash. When you were in the hospital and you were healing, how did you go back or how did you can continue? Did you go back to the US or what, so, what, was, what came next? Okay. So we were originally in the hospital in the jungle, but then we were flown back to Lima where they, they could You really were flown. Treat. How did you feel when you were flown the next? Did you had to get on a plane. I know. Yeah, it was, you know, I think even to this day in the descent, that's where I get a little bit of that. Well, I don't know, maybe PTSD or I don't know what oh, it is. Absolutely. It's just absolutely. I can't, nobody the, can blame yeah. you for that. I mean, yeah. the fact that yeah. you do go on planes is needs already. Yeah, I, I actually do. Yeah, I do pretty well. It's just when there's a little bit of turbulence, I don't particularly like that. Mm-hmm. And then also the descent, I sort of feel like I have to hold my breath a little bit yeah. for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, we we went back to Lima where, you know, particularly my husband, because my husband was more um, injured than I was, was properly treated. But it took a while. It, it You know, I mean, there are still scars, um, yeah. you know, both, both physically and, sure, you know, sure, emotionally, sure. I guess you could say. But it did make me feel very, very grateful for many things. Oh, I can imagine as you know, it's it's a second lease on life. And it does change your perspective on flying for sure. You know, like when people complain, like there's a delay or something, you know, inside, I'm just thinking, you know, as long as we get from point A to point B safely, I'm not going to complain. So I think from that perspective, it, you know, it did, it did change my view of, um, you know, delayed flights and Mm -hmm. things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. I never understood people who complain about it because there is a reason for the delay. It could be a technical reason. So I would much rather they fix the plane before I get on it and yes. uh, delay my flight than actually put me on a plane that's not okay. And the same right. with weather, you know, because right. you were saying that there was a, there was a storm and and um, but it's difficult to say. I mean, pilots know what they do. They don't take risks. But sometimes it's just, you know, that that storm that they see is not is stronger than they thought. So um, I know that flying is safe. It's a safe uh, way to travel. But of course, nothing is ever 100% safe as you experienced. Right, right. And it's usually, you know, it could be a combination of, of things like, you know, it could be um, the weather, it could be you know, some kind of technical difficulty with the plane. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, the choices that a pilot makes. It could be several, several things. Yeah, and sometimes very unfortunate circumstances, you know, just things yeah. that happen together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so. You, you did travel again and you were telling me that recently you and your family all went back to Switzerland. Yes. So in June of this year, it was, it was, in so many ways, magical. Like when I was a child visiting Switzerland, I mean, all of these good memories flooded in. It was like, even though I know when I when I get there, I am very American. I grew up in the United States, but there's always a part of me that's like, it's it's still a bit Swiss, even if I don't re- I don't speak the language or at least not very well, and I don't go there too often. 
I came out of that trip feeling very complete, very satisfied with getting in touch with my Swiss roots again. Um, and then also showing my children the beauty that Swiss that Switzerland has to offer. One of my children's middle name comes from actually a little coat of arms on a bridge in Lucerne because my mother's name uh, was Schwendimann. Mm-hmm, very Swiss. And, yes, very Swiss. And this coat of arms said Jakob, right? Jacob. Yeah. Schwendimann. And I was, and I always kind of liked that, you know, and the spelling was J-A-K-O-B. So a little different from the more common C spelling here. Um, and so my my oldest son's middle name is um, Jakob. And for him, it was kind of nice to be able to piece that to this bridge in Lucerne. This not not the most famous chapel bridge. It was a smaller bridge mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in uh, Lucerne. And to sort of make that connection, right? Oh, okay, so I'm named this because of this Swiss connection. And then also just visiting friends and family. And, um, you know, my children, of course, in California, we don't have castles. We don't have all of this the history with the knights and chivalry in, in that regard. And so when we went to visit a castle, we actually went to Thun and visited the castle there. I saw my children's eyes kind of light up about, you know, this history that was that's very different from, from California uh, history. It was, you know, at times brutal history, of course, with these knights. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, it was, it was, it was uh, interesting to to read about and to learn about for them, and then of course just taking simple hikes. You know, we would go up to Pilatus in Lucerne, um, which is a, a little mountain there, uh, and uh, we enjoyed actually really perfect weather while we were there. It mm-hmm. rained very few days. We were very fortunate, um, but I know that like many places, uh, Switzerland had a very hot summer. So it was just provided a real connection for me and sort of my my birthplace, my homeland, and uh, and then also being able to have my my children experience that as well. That's beautiful. So. And you, there's a piece of your heart that is in Switzerland. Oh, always, always. I mean, it's you know certain sort of mannerisms of my mother's. It's nice to see where that comes from. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, certain Swiss ways of doing things. It's, you know, even though she's lived in, in the States for many, many years, there's, she did spend her formative years in Switzerland. She yeah. did live there for many years. So it's it's nice to make that connection as well. Yeah, right? yes. You can take the girl out of Switzerland, but you cannot take Switzerland out of the girl. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, I don't like patriotism. I don't like people who, because borders don't exist when you look down from a plane. The borders are man-made and patriotism is not my thing. I believe that you and I are so blessed to have the best of both worlds. Or even more in your case, because you also have South America, your kids. I mean, the mixture of your kids is absolutely amazing. Oh, because they're, they're half Peruvian and then part Swiss. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's this, I think this is what creates global citizens who become much more, um, you know, much more adaptable, who, who understand cultures, because when you are exposed to different kinds of cultures, you become much more, um, I don't know how you would say that, much more international. 
Right. Right. Yeah, it, that's true. You know, I with through travel and then and, and I I also think that there's this at least here in the United States, I it could be elsewhere, but because so many of us who are of, you know, European descent, we're sort of a mixture of so many places, you know, like on my father's side, like my mother's side, it's, it's pretty simple for me. It's like Swiss. Yeah. But, you know, my father's side, it's like Scottish and German and Russian and, you know, sort of this, this real mixture. It's really nice to be able to know those roots and I feel like, you know, we visit Peru a little bit more often than we do Switzerland, but it's nice to know that my kids have that sense of cultural identity, you know, and can sort of know a bit more about their their ancestry. That's wonderful. And do you think your kids will, how old are your kids? So my oldest is 14, and then I have a 10-year-old, and then my youngest is five. Okay. So do you think they will ever travel to Switzerland on their own? Do you think that they will have this desire to go there? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm I'm nearly positive that my firstborn, he will definitely um, take that on. He he probably, in that sense, he sort of really wanted to get engaged with the culture yeah. and the language even. He wanted yeah. to learn more about the language while while we were there. In fact, we were looking at how to work on a Swiss farm. You know, I guess you can you can sign up for a summer yes. and you can work on a Swiss farm. Um, yes. He sounded kind of interested in doing something like that, which I think would be great, you know. Wonderful uh, experience, yes. I mean, all these things, you see, they just widen your horizon, everything you do. As you see, and your experience shows it very much when you were 16 and you went all alone to France and and, uh, it made you, you know, it opened a lot of different things, you know, it made you a a more uh, sort of uh, open-minded person. Yeah, I think it also really made me very compassionate to people who are learning another language. (laughs) (laughs) It takes time. It takes time. It takes, it, it takes effort. Um, you know, and to be to be patient, and you know, when people yeah. are genuinely trying to speak a language, you know, to to really support them in that. Yeah. So um, you are a compassionate French and English teacher. Like I try French to be Spanish teacher. French and Spanish, yes. yes. So and I've taught English student, as well. Yeah. Your students are lucky. Oh, <laughs> well, I I actually feel quite lucky. I mean, I over the years I've had. Um, so many interesting students, you know, I've even, I obviously living abroad, I did, I would teach English as well. And, um, I, you know, every, every student comes, you know, they're, they're, they're their own person, they're unique, and they're going to have different ways of looking at language, different reasons for learning language. And it's just to try to foster that, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of them maybe want to learn a language a bit more for practical reasons, right? Oh, I need to use this in my job. Mm-hmm. And then other students want to learn a language because they want to travel. And then if I've had younger students, you know, they don't have much of a say in it, but their parents want them to learn a language. So I, ha- you know, I have to take so many things into account. Yes. Why they want to learn the language, what's their purpose. Um, but I can say that teaching language is just delightful. I mean, there's nothing else I'd really like to do professionally. Beautiful. And I also believe that it's not just about learning a language. It's also about understanding the culture. It's under, it's about understanding 
a country and, and a people when you understand the language. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Monica, we're already coming to the end of this episode. What are your travel plans? Where, where are you going next? You've just been to Switzerland this summer, so I assume it's not it won't be happening right away again. Where are you going next? Where am I going next? Well, I have not been to Peru recently, uh, so my family, I, we're, our next family trip will be back to Peru. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, this is the thing. COVID changed our lives, didn't it? It messed up it with our our like things that we used to do regularly. We couldn't do anymore. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's been about three years since I've been to Peru. Yeah, and we had you know travel plans, and then of course uh, the pandemic and everything sort of put off those plans. But um, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to go to Peru uh, sooner rather than later. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to take take time and spend time with me on most memorable journeys and also especially to share this amazing story with me. So thank you, Monica Glenn Desea, <laughs> to read it and uh, <laughs> hope to meet you one day. Oh, thank you. It's been really delightful. Um meeting you via Zoom um, and I I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.